This is the Midweeks. Hello, Calvary. I want to uh, continue on with a message I did a few Sundays ago uh, about turning a prophet for the Lord because Christ is King. And so this one, I just want to focus a bit more on how to actually do it scripturally and to have some mindsets and scriptures that will help us to uh, take on the task of turning a prophet. And so I was reading out of Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. And so I'm going to read that again and just refresh our minds about this parable and what it meant. So I'll read it with you and then we'll go to some places in scripture that can help us to have a mindset and a lifestyle that turns a profit while we're waiting for Christ to return. Because I don't think it's easily done. I don't do it easily and well. And so this is a big part of my life is growing and turning a profit in all circumstances so that when Christ returns, he'll be uh, pleased with how I've spent my life. He'll be proud of me. So Luke chapter 19, I've got it here on my computer screen. You can read along or you can just listen to me. Jesus said, as they heard these things, he went on and told a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God would be revealed immediately. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called ten servants of his and gave them ten mina coins and told them, conduct business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent an envoy after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Then it appeared when he came back again, having received the kingdom, that he commanded his servants, to whom he had given the money, to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by conducting business, or how they turned a profit. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten more minas. And he said to him, Well done, you good servant, because you were found faithful very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Your mina, Lord, has made five minas. So he said to him, You are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Lord, behold your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an exacting man. You take what you did not lay down, you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I am an exacting man, taking up that which I didn't lay down, and reaping which I didn't sow. Then why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? And at my coming I might have earned interest on it. He said to those who stood by, Take the mina away from him, and give it to him who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. But I tell you that to everyone who has will be given more. But from him who doesn't have, even that which he has will be taken from him. But bring those enemies of mine who didn't want me to reign over them and kill them before me. All right, so that's the end of the parable. And uh, one way of reading this parable is just to think of the three groups of people who are addressed in the parable. Um, By the king who goes away and comes back, or the ruler who goes away and comes back. There's three different kinds of people. The first kind is, um, let's start with them. The first kind is the people who didn't want him to be king. So there's a kind of person who does not want this person to, to reign. And this kind of stands for people who do not want Jesus to be Lord. They're unbelievers and blatantly so. They don't want Jesus to be Lord of the world. They don't want Jesus to be Lord of their lives and they act like it. And Jesus says, well, there's going to be vengeance against them. The other kind of person is by uh, emblemized or shown by the... Uh, the third servant, who is somebody who isn't hostile to Christ, but doesn't want to serve him. They think negatively of him, and because of that, their lives are unfruitful. And so this, I think, is an also a kind of unbelief, and it's not a good scenario to be. And you can tell by the fact that in the story, everything this person has is taken away with them. They're left bereft. Um, 
And so this isn't who you want to be either to be. Uh, and, and the key when I said my message a few weekends ago is that uh, to realize that Jesus sees uh, the fruitlessness of this person as unbelief in his heart. He, he does not like the king. He doesn't trust the king. He thinks evil of the king. And because of that, his life is fruitful. And what I'm advocating for today is for us to, um, because we love Jesus, we want to serve him, to have a lifestyle of turning a profit. And so if I'm reading this parable right, um, Jesus' servants, his disciples, are each invested with things that he wants to, at his return, see that we've used wisely, that we've turned a profit on. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Uh, in the story, Jesus gave each one of the servants a mina, which is a certain amount of money, which is quite a bit. I think it's like three months wages for a, a laborer. So not nothing. And the first person who shows up has made 10 times as much money with his mina. That's not easily done. Anybody who, you know, how much would it take if I give you 10,000 bucks to turn it to 100,000? That would take work. And so these are stories of people taking work, but they, these are the heroes of the story. And you can tell from the parable that Jesus's desire is to say to these people, uh, to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, and I'm going to reward you with a lot more than you earned. So he earned 10 minas, the first servant, that's a lot, but to entrust to him 10 cities, that is disproportionately generous to um, grant that kind of honor, to grant that kind of responsibility, and even the wealth that would come along with that. So Christ's heart is that before he returns with our lives, we'll be turning a profit. We'll be taking what he gives us in life, and that he'll be that we will be making things better. And so one of the things I said on that Sunday and that I want to say again is that it's easy to think that the minas are just what we're good at and that we're going to use our skills and abilities to serve the Lord, which is true. So here I have um, part of Romans 12 that talks about that kind of thing, using the gifts God's given you for God's glory. It's Romans 12, I'll read it. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. So it's talking about serving the Lord. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of God. So serving God in a way that you're going to receive praise from him. This is corresponds to the parable really well. For I say through the grace that was given to me that every man among you, um, to every man who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think reasonably as God is apportioned to each a measure of faith. For even as we are many members in one body, and all the members don't have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having differing gifts according to the grace that God has given to us. If prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith, of service, let us give ourselves to service, or he who teaches to his teaching, or he who exhorts to his exhorting, to he who gives, let him do it with liberality or generously, he who rules with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So here's these different aspects where God has given grace to his people, he's given grace to his children, he's given faith to his servants, and he wants us to use our faith in portion, what we've given, in different expressions. So here is a scripture that is like talks about the mina as an investment, the abilities, things that we can do which is great. And I think we need to think this way. How can I use my gifts and abilities to serve the Lord? But I don't think it's very helpful to only think of this life as things I'm good at that I'm serving the Lord because so much of life isn't just us getting to do what we're good at. So much of life isn't just us being able to do what we enjoy. Um, a lot of life is doldrums. A lot of 
life is chores and a lot of life is pain and suffering. And God calls us to be fruitful, uh, to turn a profit even in those times. And so I'm going to take us to a couple of scriptures that talk about this kind of thing as well. So here's one on, um, oh, let's start with uh, 2 Corinthians 3. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 4, not 3. 2 Corinthians 4, where Paul is talking about his ministry, and he says this, uh, Therefore we don't faint, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. And this is the important part. For our light afflictions, which is for the moment, works for us more and more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. While we don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So in Paul's mind here, he's an apostle of the Lord and serving him and being very fruitful in terms of major profit in his life. Most impactful life possibly besides the Lord Jesus Christ in all human history for the kingdom of God. And what he says is that it's his light afflictions where really his pain and suffering, which for a moment, which are actually earning this eternal weight of glory that are producing um, glory that are producing things that are praiseworthy and he says how do you do this while we look to the things that not that are seen but to the unseen for the things that are seen are temporal but the things that are unseen are eternal and there's almost this parallel to jesus's parable where paul's saying if you live looking to the king that you can't see right now your life especially the afflictions produce for you a weight of glory or you get a huge eternal glorious reward by serving the Lord in afflictions now even though you can't see him so there's a lot that lines up for me at least in how Paul describes what's going on here with the parable as well and it's interesting that he doesn't just say your giftings in action produce an eternal weight of glory he says it's these afflictions that we go through because right now we're still in this fallen world and there's so much um, pain to be had in the service of Christ. These are the things that actually earn us the reward in this passage that um, can be described as an exceedingly exceeding weight of glory. That's amazing. And I think that's supposed to encourage us because one of the things that can discourage us right away is thinking that our hard times and our pains and our sufferings, our afflictions, our wasted time. But actually, as we go through them well, seeking to please the Lord by having our eyes focused on him, these things are the things in this passage that are emphasized as the things that really earn us glory in eternity. That's amazing. And let's go to another passage as well. I'm just going to type it here, my computer, uh, Romans 8, and look at this passage. I'm just going to break this up and increase the size a little bit for those who are reading. And let's just read it here. Starting Romans 8, verse 16, it says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, so talking to Christians, and of children, then heirs. Okay? So here we have this picture of Christ coming and granting us part of his kingdom, just like in the parable where the king returned and gave the servant cities uh, as his reward for faithfulness. If we are children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, like right here, that we may also be glorified with him. So Romans 8 is very similar to 2 Corinthians that we were reading before. We are joint heirs with Christ. We can expect at his return to be granted a full participation in the new creation, to be owners and rulers, to be given a reward. And how do you get there? If we 
suffer with him that we might also be glorified with him that's verse 17 and so why am i emphasizing this i i I want us to get into our heads turning a prophet means yes being faithful with the gifts we are given and the abilities we're given and also it means having a christian mindset about suffering where we want to respond to the suffering that god allows or sends or permits or predestines in our lives however you want to think about that we respond to it by seeing the king who has not returned yet and wanting to turn a prophet for his sake and so when he comes and we've been faithful we are declared joint heirs and we are given an eternal weight of glory and we're glorified with him in the kingdom and handed over cities and whatever else it is jesus has to give away when he's saying to us well done good and faithful service so here's a recap of the point both the good and the bad the hard and the easy done with an eye to please the king and we can expect as we seek to turn a prophet that christ will reward us so let's look a little bit more specifically about what kind of mindsets that will help us get there because these are good things to just say yes and amen and i'm all for it and it's kind of easy to say yeah i want to do this but because we're talking about doing hard things what do we want to do when things get hard well we want to quit i want to quit i want to grumble i want to complain i don't want to turn a profit i don't see that so many of my hardships are actually god saying here's amina why do you what do you want to do with it and i don't see often in my own heart without taking some time to think about it that the reason i want to quit or grumble when things get hard is because i don't want to think highly of the king i don't have faith in the king but if i have faith how do you express your faith during life in order to turn a prophet for the lord and be worthy of praise at his return so let's look at a few scriptures okay so let's look at uh, philippians 4 off the bat let's go philippians 4 starting verse um here we are verse four i'm gonna blow this up a little bit on your screen all right i think this is the best way to get a heart ready to turn a prophet for the lord and starting verse four he says rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice i think for me this is the first thing that sets my heart and my mind and my body on a path of turning a prophet in good situations and hard situations is turning to Jesus and rejoicing in him. That's what orients someone to the king and orients us to wanting to work for the king and turn a prophet for king and make the most for the king is having joy in the king. So you turn to him, you can give thanks to him, you can praise him, you can acknowledge that he's Lord, but you can be thankful for his love, thankful for his cross, thankful for his resurrection, thankful for the spirits empowering that the king gives us. We can be thankful to him, we can rejoice in him. And I think that Paul's thinking about this, he's trying to encourage his church. How do you do life? in this hard world where we have stuff to do for the Lord. Number one, rejoice in him. This is what gets us there. This is what changes a day. This is what changes the situation. Turning to Jesus and rejoicing in him. Rejoice in the Lord always, always, always. Why do we need to always be doing it? Because that's what sets us up to turn a prophet for the king. And Paul repeats himself, again, I will say rejoice. Then he says, let your gentleness be known to all men. And then this great line, the Lord is at hand. In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he goes on from there. But like this is such a great recipe for the mind. 
to be set up to turn a profit for the Lord. Rejoice in Jesus. Remember, the Lord is at hand. This is where reality is different than Jesus' parable. In Luke 19, the parable talks about the king being away and then coming back to give his evaluation of how his servants have done. But, and it's true that Jesus bodily isn't returned yet. But through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can say the Lord is at hand. The king is in the room. He's here to help. I don't need to be afraid and I don't need to be angry and I don't need to quit. In nothing be anxious, but in everything, talk to the king. Give thanks, pray, ask, let your request be made known to God through the king. And so this is where I want to start. If you feel like it's very difficult for you to be turning a prophet in your daily life, why don't you start with Jesus? Why don't you start with rejoicing in the Lord, giving thanks to him, and then praying. Maybe you're like me and you know what it's like to be praying to God when you're not thankful for God. Praying to a king that you don't trust. That's what that parable's about. Praying to a Jesus that you feel abandoned by. Instead, you start with rejoicing. Jesus, you're so good. Thank you for your love. You are good. I praise you. And that, I think, starts off at being able to respond to any situation with the desire and capability of turning a prophet. So Philippians 4, 9. The next thing I think we can we can do, I can do, is often just do a better job of seeing everything as being about Jesus. And I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to go to verse uh, 5. And this is Jesus's instructions for servants or bond slaves in the ancient Near East. So in Christian households, or in many households, a lot of the people in the household would be slaves. In any rich family, you'd have more servants than you have family members. And in an average family, maybe an average family might have a servant or two. And a lot of the people would be servants. I've heard one time someone say that in the Roman Empire, you know, up to a quarter to a third of the empire was slaves at some times. And so there were this, this passage addressed a lot of people and probably a lot of Christians. And so here is Paul talking to it. And now you and I, if we think about it, if you got sold into slavery, if you got bought, if you belonged to somebody, if you had no rights, um, wouldn't you think it might be really hard to turn a profit in life? Wouldn't you think it might be hard? Like you're just like, I can't serve Jesus. I'm a slave. Or just be super discouraged or be um, angry and bitter. And so, yeah, that's normal. And so here is Paul telling servants how to live. And I want to just highlight how Christ obsessed Paul tells these servants to be. Ephesians 6, 5. Servants, be obedient to those who, according to the flesh, are your masters, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as to Christ, not in the way of service only, when eyes are on you, as man-pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good thing each one does he will receive the same again from the Lord whether he is bound or free I I've been meditating on this and this blows my mind just think about how many times he says Christ and God in this sentence he says be obedient to those who are your earthly masters even though regularly you won't think they're treating you well with fear and trembling. What? You mean like with deep seriousness? Yeah. With singleness of heart. What? Like take this role seriously? Why? As, as to Christ. Not in the way of service only when eyes are on you as man pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So he just, he keeps repeating himself. You're serving Jesus. You're serving Jesus. You're serving Jesus. So Start with rejoicing, Jesus. How does a Christian turn a prophet in any circumstance? 
always be serving Jesus. And this is hard to do. I don't do it easily and I don't do it naturally. I'm often the most important person in whatever room I'm in. But he's saying, hey, do you want to do this hard situation of being a slave? Do you want to turn a prophet that God will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant at the end of your life? You have been faithful serving one master. I'm going to make you the master over many servants or whatever the equivalent of that is in heaven. Do you want to receive a reward even though you're in a situation where you might think you can't do that? He says, just keep doing it for Jesus. Do a good job for Jesus, like you're serving Jesus, like your kids are Jesus, like your boss is Jesus, like your coworkers is Jesus. Keep treating people like they're Jesus, like you're serving Jesus, like you're going to get a reward from Jesus. That's the way. And I find this so challenging and amazing, but sane. Because people don't respond like you want them to, and people don't acknowledge like you'd want them to, and people don't reward you in this life like you could hope they would, but Jesus will. Jesus does and Jesus will. And so this is the second thing. So number one, rejoice in the Lord. And then number two, whatever you're doing, fight to do it for the Lord. Whether it's the vacuuming or driving an ambulance, whether you're managing $10 million or whether you're teaching your kid to budget their allowance, do it to Jesus. Like he is there, like you're serving him. That's where you get the reward. And that's the same way to do it. So you're not discouraged. You're rejoicing in the Lord. And guess what? The Lord's right in front of you in the person you're serving. That's an amazing thought. And I think it really empowers to turn a prophet. Uh, number three, I want to look at Colossians here. Uh, Colossians chapter four, very simple verse. It's near the end. It says this, um, Paul has finished his letter preaching the gospel and he's greeting individual people in this city. And in 4.17, it says, Tell Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you fulfill it. So Paul's writing to this church. He's never been to this church before, but he's heard of Archippus and it sounds like Archippus isn't being faithful in something. And so Paul calls him out publicly and says, do your job that you receive from the Lord. And so to be a prophet, producer for Jesus to be living for the reward, it's really important that you know what you, you've received from the Lord to do. Okay, can you write down what are your tasks from the Lord? What are your roles in life for the Lord? What has he entrusted you with? If you go back to the parable, you know, somebody could be holding their mina and they could be looking at the next guy saying, well, I don't have that guy's mina. If I really had that guy's mina and that one, if I had started off with 10 minas instead of just one mina, I could really turn a profit, but I can't turn a profit because I don't have that mina. If you want to turn a prophet for the king, it's important to realize that whatever he's given you is all that you're responsible for turning a prophet on. But if he has entrusted you with something like Archippus, he's saying, mind what I've entrusted to you. So what is your life? Uh, you're not responsible for everyone's parents, everyone's parents, but you're responsible for your parents. You're not responsible for everyone's marriage, but you're responsible for your marriage, your husband, your wife. You're not responsible for everyone's kids to turn a profit with every kid in the world. But have you been giving kids physically or through adoption or through fostering? You're not responsible for turning profit in every workplace role, but you are responsible for the one that is specifically your role. You're not responsible for encouraging every church, but you are responsible for being a part of your church and tur turning a profit in your church. You're not responsible for all the money in the world, but you are responsible for turning a profit in the kingdom with the money God's entrusted to you. So if you wanna be a profit producer, 
why don't you take a second and write out your major responsibilities in the Lord, your major ministries in the Lord, what you've been given from the Lord, what good things and what hard things, what 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 skills and what challenges, what weaknesses have you been entrusted with in the Lord to turn a prophet? And I think this could really set us free. As Canadians, we think normal is to have no problems and no weaknesses and no struggles. That's normal. And if we have weaknesses, if we have failures, if we have ongoing temptations we have to fight with, we think that's abnormal. And so we get discouraged and we get angry at the Lord. We don't like this entrustment. Why would you do this? But if you actually see your weaknesses as an entrustment for the Lord that you could turn a profit in, yeah, okay, so you're not, you're, you, you struggle with money. How can you respond with faith in Jesus so that you're actually turning a profit there? Maybe you've got some physical illness. Let's pray that you're healed. But in the meantime, with your attitude and your time, how can you turn a profit for the Lord so that um, Jesus is pleased with what you're doing? Because it, in some senses, you know, those light and momentary afflictions are there not to ruin your life, but to fill your eternity with glory. Amen? We read that, right? That's a mind-bending, almost a scary thought. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to believe this could be the way God wants my life to live because maybe more trouble will come. Okay, hold on a sec. Could it be true that the light and momentary afflictions that we endure now aren't here to ruin our lives, but are there to fill our eternity with glorious weight? Wow. Okay, so how do I be faithful? And you can write it down. God, I'm going to be faithful. That's a crazy thought. Um, let's go to the next thing. This is encouragement I need. Every sermon I do, I'm just talking to myself. And so you're welcome to be a part of it as well. James chapter 1. Let's check this out. Uh, right at the end. You're scrolling down. too far where Paul where James says in verse 21 of chapter 1 therefore putting away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls be doers of the word and not only hearers deluding your own selves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like a man beholding his natural face in a mirror for he sees himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is but he who looks into the perfect law, the law of freedom, and continues, not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in what he does. So what James is going after here, he's, he's calling Christians to actually put into practice the word of God, which is what I'm calling us to do too. So when I'm struggling, when I'm in a hard situation, one of my new habits I'm building is I want to find a specific verse to try to obey. That could be James 1.19 here, excuse me, which is one of my favorites. So then, my brothers, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Boom. Okay, whatever. If I'm in a hard time, my job is to listen better, speak less, and be slower to anger. I'm applying the word. I'm being a doer. Why? I want Jesus to come back and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with what I give you. So any Christian, especially in the West, when we have Bibles coming out of our ears, we can go online and read Bibles, we are given this mina of the word of God. And we're called to invest it by actually obeying what it actually says. And so when we're wanting to bear fruit, we can be praying and seeking. We can be asking the Holy Spirit, give me specific scriptures to obey. 
so that I can say I was obeying Christ by doing this specific scripture. And this is part of doing fruit. The king wants to know that we love him and trust him and respond to him with obedience. That was the mission, right? He says, here's my money, work it until I get back. And the praised servants were the ones that worked with his money until he returned. And so what we can do to help uh, be fruitful, to be people who turn a profit, is when we're in situations, find a specific verse to obey by the power of the Holy Spirit through the grace of God. Because sometimes we can just be like, well, I want to love, or I want to be nice, or I want to be patient. Okay, find a verse, find a verse. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring something to mind. Find something to obey so you're actually sinking your teeth into being a king-focused, king-serving servant of God who is going to get the reward in his suffering. So I just, I want to obey you in this situation. I don't like this situation. It's very hard, this hard work. I want to obey you. Show me something from your word to obey so that I can have my eyes fixed on you, not being a man pleaser, but being a king pleaser. Show me. So there's James. Okay, and one last one. And I think this one's really important as well. It's the end of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Let's go there. And he says this. uh, Starting verse 7. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his own flesh, from the flesh will reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not weary in doing good, for we will reap in due season if we do not give up. So there's that good one. Let us not be weary of doing good, for we will reap in due season if we don't give up. Don't you want to just give up? Sometimes. You try, you fail, you try, it's not good enough, you try, people are disappointed in you, you try, people reject it, you try, it doesn't seem fruitful, you try again. Don't you want to just give up sometimes? I can, I can get discouraged, you can get discouraged, we can get discouraged. And I think one of the biggest parts of turning a profit for the Lord is learning to not give up and doing good, learning to persevere, learning to not quit. And so this is going to be where I end here. Is there anything you're quitting on or want to quit on when actually God's calling you to not give up because the reward is in persevering? Um, Think about that servant who had one mina and earned 10. Don't you think he could have quit after the first one? He's like, I got a mina, I made a mina. I've doubled the money. He must be proud of me. No, he really persevered in it. You have to persevere to take one mina and turn it into 10 minas. That's a lot of persevering. And so let's remember, we can sow to the Spirit by rejoicing in the Lord. We can sow to the Spirit by trusting the King and working for Him in all our situations. We can sow to the Spirit by wanting to be faithful to the specific things He's given to us. We can sow to the Spirit by wanting to obey the words of the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. And we can sow to the Spirit by asking Him to help us to persevere and not quit so that we can get the reward that God wants for us. So, hey, here's my little Bible study on not Uh, quitting but turning a profit i hope this encourages you and i hope that 2020 is a year where we really persevere in wanting to take whatever god gives us and turn it around for something that god will be pleased with how we respond i'm rob belfour and thank you so much for spending some time with me